Welcome to CS Radio. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 95 of CS Radio. I'm J. Michael DeAngelis. And I'm Amy Len Kirshner. Just five away from the big 100. We're teasing this like we have a plan. No plan. Zero plan. <laughs> Probably just another episode where we make it up on the spot. And make Karen work hard. <laughs> Speaking of hard workers... We've got one right here today. We are so happy to have with us in the studio one of our newest Career Services members, Kate Lawrence. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Kate is the coordinator for both the graduate student team and the nursing education social work team, a role I once had. I was going to say, near and dear to Michael's heart. Long ago. So welcome to the office and to the show. Thank you, guys. It's actually just over my two-month anniversary. Hey. Holy cow. Well, happy, happy anniversary. It feels so much longer. <laughs> <laughs> we should celebrate with cake, I think, or whatever yes. you would like to celebrate with. So can you tell us a little bit about that role and your duties therein? Yeah, so uh, like Michael said, I am the administrative coordinator for both the graduate team who serves um, most master's students, master students in six schools on campus, and then all PhDs um, as well as postdocs while they're here during their research fellowships. Um, and then I serve the same role on the nursing education and social policy team, which services the schools of nursing, GSE, as well as SP2. So I do kind of like a host of things. I plan programming. I work with students to coordinate appointments, kind of like support the advisors and our larger goals, serving kind of a really extensive graduate population to make sure that students as well as postdocs, you know, have all the resources that they need coming from career services. Excellent. And you are a recent graduate of graduate school yourself. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you came here? So I did graduate with a Master's of Fine Arts from the Sculpture and Extended Media program down at Virginia Commonwealth University. So I finished in May of 2019. um, And I actually grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So I grew up out in Chester County. My wife is actually from Balakinwood. She was born in Philadelphia. And so coming back to Philadelphia in, uh, in August of 2018, we moved back to South Philly. And it was kind of a big return home for both of us. So I'm I'm happy to be back in the city and happy to kind of have found a, a landing here in career services as well. Excellent. Kate and I were just talking this morning about how we were neighbors growing up, kind of. Kind of, yeah. In Chester County. Yeah. Her high school was just up the street from where I used to live. Exton. Even yeah. more than kind of neighbors, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> Maybe a few years apart. <laughs> and Kate, can you tell us a, a little bit more about your background as an artist and arts administration? I think you and I have in, some of that in common, including my first jobs out of school were in arts administration, actually both while I was in college and then one of my first jobs out of school was being in arts administration, and then I found my way into higher education administration. Looking back, it feels like kind of like a winding road. It's like funny to think that I have been working in the creative field for like 10 years now. It seems impossible. Like I said, I grew up around here, and then I went to undergraduate at University of Washington out in Seattle. So I didn't really have a plan when I started my bachelor's degree. I just, as you can kind of tell from looking at a map, I just wanted to get as far away <laughs> from, from the type of experience I, I had been having as possible. And UW is a really special school. Seattle is a really special place. And so ending up in the Bachelor's of Fine Arts program there, 
there, I think, was a combination of, you know, I, I had a natural affinity for making things. Like, I really liked the creative process. I liked being in the studio. Um, I still do. I, I could kind of be self-directed in my studio, just playing with materials and making things probably alone for the rest of my life and be very happy. But it was a combination of doing that as well as being around a community of people who were really thoughtful, who were interested in a communication in a really particular t- type of way, like a really tactical type of way um, and the way that that can then spark conversation. I found myself really satisfied by that community and type of art making and that that's kind of I kind of fell into it and then became you know really inspired by that type of work. When I was just out of undergrad I did um, an artist residency which is you know being on campus for a full month with a studio with housing with three meals provided um, at a place called the Vermont Studio Center which is in Johnson Vermont and um, all you do is make work in your studio you have studio visits and there are like 65 other artists and writers per month so for me as like a 23 year old artist just out of undergrad it was a really amazing place to kind of see what was available see what different types of careers people had, what jobs they had, where they actually came from, you know, and and how they were interested in working in their own lives. And I went back there to work for a year, and that's when I started in arts administration. So I kind of ended up in that role because I was an artist who was really interested in this particular place and ended up having a job where I was running their programming, running their visiting artist program, working with residents and artists on site. A big part of it was hospitality. It was really communication driven and also being able to do all this kind of like in administrative, tedious work that I found really fulfilling to do on my own, and then see the results surrounded by a community of people, seeing people get inspired. You know, people would come to the residency and their lives would kind of be changed forever, and I loved being able to, like, work in a role that really had a place in that. So, kind of, that's almost what led me to wanting to continue to do this type of work in higher ed. Um, When I was in grad school, I really liked the university system. I like academia. So being able to do that type of work, but with an audience that's a little broader than just an artistic or just a creative audience is something I find really fulfilling kind of personally um, and is a nice counterbalance to my continued work as an artist. So one of the things that we're going to be discussing in the main body of the podcast today is um, interviewing. And as someone who just recently, as this is just your two-month anniversary, went through an interview process here, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the questions that, that we put to you, maybe something that you weren't expecting or gave you insight into what it might be like to work here? So my interview actually included all of the advisors and directors for both of my teams. Yes, we <laughs> have noted before on the podcast, career services does not joke around when it comes to the interview process. If it is we could fix Gauntlet. <laughs> if we could fit more people in the room, we probably would have. <laughs> yeah, <a whole laughs> situation. Un- yeah, unreal. Yeah, so um, I believe it was me and then eight people <laughs> in one room. One of them even had to phone in, but made it a point to phone in. But for me, it was really nice. I kind of am an extrovert by nature. So, you know, as someone who's done a lot of interviews, my job search leading up to this role was was quite extensive. I went on a lot of different types of interviews. And um, I always found ones where it was a group of people, where group dynamics could really be at play. It gave me a much better idea of the role, where I saw other people in the office kind of communicating with each other and really put me at ease that there was more than one type of energy to kind of bounce back and forth with. So uh, I wasn't necessarily intimidated. I think I was more excited by the the gauntlet of eight advisors that I had to meet with. Well, that is good news. Yeah, <laughs> I did stay. So And it does make sense. We are a very collaborative office, so these interviews tend to be an indication of how we work. So it's a good little insight into that. So it's natural that since you liked it, we selected you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, a good fit. Yeah, it's a good way to like weed out the t- 
good. <laughs> but there were two questions that do stick out from my interview um, that I think showed me a, a bit about the office um, and what their priorities are and made me pretty excited to get the offer and to come to work here. So at one point, I because I was a, a recent MFA grad, I was asked pretty directly of, as an MFA, what was my experience you know, at my university working with career services, what was presented to me. And I was very frank in the interview and you know, even now that there actually wasn't any, any resources that were presented or if they did exist at the university, they weren't made apparent that those were things that I could seek out and that that office might have resources that could have been of use to me after I graduated and then um, was searching for a, a more permanent fulfilling job for um, just over a year after I graduated. So it's something that now I think would be pretty useful. Even in undergrad as a BFA, um, it's not something that I was really presented with. And like I said before, like my kind of travels to the type of work that I like didn't come from being directed or from those things being explicitly shown to me. I kind of fell into this different type of work through extracurricular interests that I happened to have. And uh, a question that was presented from one of the advisors on the nursing education social work team was I was asked pretty directly how my, how my work as an exhibiting artist, how I, I bring that to my job or how I bring that into my day-to-day and what that might actually serve me as a candidate and as a person. And, you know, that question made me feel like very valued as someone who has this whole other type of life. I'm glad to hear that as career professionals, we asked some questions that stood with you. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> I'm not surprised from the audience who was interviewing you, for sure. So we touched on this a little bit, but we we always ask, if you weren't working here in career services, what is your dream job? You know, that's also, I feel like that's a question that I got in many interviews. Mm-hmm. And sure. you would think yeah. I'd be prepared for it after never having an answer. But it's a hard one to have an answer to, I think, also because I've had a relatively winding path, as I'm sure a lot of people do, and have ended up in roles that I've found really fulfilling that I probably wouldn't have chosen a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. So I I still really like arts administration. I still really care about the arts as an exhibiting artist. And so I think if they're, I don't know, guys. That's all right. That actually is a very uh, thorough answer to that very difficult question. And I think, you know, it's a a question that we ask in sort of fun, but I think, you know, for a lot of our audience, the answer, I don't know, is really resonant. And that's that's okay. It's okay to know that you can be in a career and, and be into it and still not exactly know what that dream job is. It's okay. You know, you'll find it. You'll know it when it's there or or, or not. not. Or yeah, exactly. Like you said, it evolves too. So a dream you're not job. unhappy in the work that you're doing. Oh right? no, I'm yes. very happy. Yeah. So yeah, that's so what's wrong great. With that? Exactly. What, what's your dream job? Me? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Look at this interview and he turned on his head. <laughs> this is unprecedented. Um, I would like to be able to support myself just through my my writing. Yeah. That's my dream, truly, uh, above anything else. Please, uh, everybody, listen to my podcast, yeah. Mission Rejected. <laughs> trying to get that turned into a sweet Netflix series. <laughs> Netflix series. Yeah. So, along those lines, we also like to ask, if you had your own podcast, what would that be? What would my topic be? Yeah, what would your show be? <sighs> so, this is something I think about a lot. Also, as someone who creates 
all of the time. This is something that, that I think about. I'm not sure what my topic would be. I am a voracious consumer of podcasts of many different varieties. I like more comedy-oriented shows. I like, I'm kind of like a politics policy mm-hmm. nerd. And um, I like even kind of like interview podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the most direct line between my brain and the things that I like in my daily life in a podcast would be to have a podcast where I talk about my ideas about other people's ideas along with friends whose opinions I respect very meta yeah thank you yeah what podcast were you listening to this morning Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I feel like I listened to an episode or two of The Indicator, mm-hmm. which is like a daily Planet Money offshoot. And my truly favorite podcasts to listen to over the course of the week are The Weeds and The Ezra Klein Show, which are both Fox Media podcast podcasts. One is kind of more news oriented and one is an interview show. Great. I'm always looking for recommendations, but I only have so much time. I also listen to a ton of podcasts. And yes. Do you listen to them on one and a half speed? No, see? <laughs> do you do that? Do you do that, Kate? So uh, I have done it, especially when, when I'm in a place where I am in my studio or working on a project in the house and I can listen to a bunch of stuff. I will end up just going through subscribing to more because I have the time. And then when I don't have that kind of time and I'm just commuting, I still want to consume all of the content, but I don't have the time. So there will be pieces of my life where I do a one and a half speed, but it makes me feel deeply disturbed. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Audiobooks, 1.25. One and a quarter. Real, I can't oh, do it. The other is too slow. If it's just one, I'm like, why is this taking yeah. so long? Wow. 1.25 for audiobooks, for sure. I feel like they're intentionally going very slowly yeah. in an audiobook format. Podcasts are a bit different because I think they're more conversational. In a narration, one is too slow. Well, as always, we'll agree to disagree. As always. We agree on nothing. <laughs> Truly. Other than it was delightful to have Kate on. That was my pleasure. Agree. Thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I knew Kate would be a great guest because I love chatting with her. In the office. She's so vivacious. She's been a great addition. Totally. I I really, I think she's endlessly fascinating, and I hope we can have her on again to espouse her opinions. Exactly. About life. Even though as she walked out, she said, thank goodness that's over, and I don't have to do that again. Yep, no. It's totally going to be a recurring guest. (laughs) Absolutely. She's fantastic. So as we mentioned while we were interviewing Kate, that interviewing is the topic of today's podcast. Interviewing has been on my mind recently because I swear... More than three quarters of the student meetings I've had recently have been mock interviews. It's that time of year here. The process of on-campus interviews are happening, but it's even beyond that because you're going through second rounds. You're thinking about how to prep for interviews maybe coming up in the spring. It's in the ether here at Penn. So I was so interested when I saw that one of the blogs I really like, uh, Cup of Joe, unrelated to careers, featured an article called 40 Favorite Interview Questions from Some of the Sharpest Folks. So of course, as a career services advisor, I was intrigued and I clicked in and I thought the article was even better than I expected it to be. One of the bold things before the actual 40 questions is what's your favorite interview question and why, which I feel like is a very meta interview question you could pose in an interview. But I think sometimes these unexpected questions are the ones that prove most insightful to hiring managers. I spoke with a student recently who 
had kind of the opposite take. She's in an entrepreneurial space and she's looking to hire people and she was asking if career services could help her think of smart interview questions to pose as she is hiring as well. So again, interviewing keeps coming up over for me over the last few weeks in a number of ways. So this article, which we will link to, I think is so timely for me, but I loved some of the questions. Did any stand out to you before I jump in, Michael? Early on, one of the first ones that comes up is something that I've been asked in a couple of different interviews, which is, uh, among the people you've worked with, who do you admire and why? Yes. And I think that why is very uh, important. It's such a more telling and nuanced question than like tell me about a good work experience. You better like tell me about a good supervisor, a bad supervisor. Totally. It's more direct. Yeah. And it's more thoughtful. Yes. And I think very valuable. I mean, certainly for me, I had a very easy answer to that. I would say now I have two very easy answers to that. Certainly before I worked here, the boss that I had when I was an undergrad, Ken Butler, was an amazing boss. And I've had so many great bosses because I could could also easily talk about my boss at my first job out of college, John Toner, who, like, that was a job that was not great. Mm. And he was so understanding about it and said, look, look, here's how we make the best of this. And taught me a really valuable lesson because he, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. But he said, there's so many things in this job that you can take mm. with Huge. you Huge. and do them somewhere else. But let's develop them here. Uh, Invaluable, and of course, then coming here and working for for Pat Rose. Yeah, she's always the one who comes to mind so for me. So I, I have like these great examples, and I, I, you know, there's really tangible things that I can say that inform the kind of employee I want to be, right? Because I want to emulate the values and skills that they imparted onto me. Right, and you can see why that's so valuable from the hiring manager's point of view, which is part of why I really appreciated this article. Having the interviewee think about what the interviewer is trying to get from the actual conversation that you're going to have, and that's huge. It's a question about values without saying what do you value, informing them about how they could be a good manager to you if they're going to be your you know, direct supervisor. It's, it's really great. I particularly liked one. It was, what is something you're really good at doing that you don't want to do anymore, that you never want to do anymore? And the feedback on this question indicated that sometimes an ideal candidate, you know, the resume is saying all of these things that is really qualifying and that's why the hiring managers brought them in. But if that's the thing they're looking to move away from in a career pivot, the reason they're leaving their current role is to get away from that thing, that means that that person's likely not going to be very happy in that role for very long if that's the reason you're hiring. So it can kind of clear some of those things up in a good way. Plus, it also gives you the opportunity to, to talk about a skill set that you have in a humble way, especially because you're looking to transition away from using that skill. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating question. I've never been asked that, Mm-mm. but I could see how valuable it would totally it would be for sure. I think that's a hard question to you. It is a hard question because, you know, again, we're, we're not talking about a specific job posting here, but like if you've gotten to that point, if you're looking to make a transition, you would hopefully know, you know, let's say you're a, a data analyst, right? And you're really great at it, but you don't want to be a data analyst anymore. Hopefully you're not sitting in an interview for a data analyst <laughs> Ideally. job. However, you could come into a situation where the position is, I don't know, let's say it's event manager, right? It seems like as far away as possible, but they're looking for someone with real data analytic experience because they want better audience tracking or, you know, you know what insights into their events. Right. So you're all excited to, to plan weddings yep. and then they're 
they're like, yeah, so why we brought you in is that you've got this data analyst because that's what this really is going to be. Oh. Red flag. And that can help the interviewee as well say, okay, well, maybe this, this is not the role for me if that's how I'm going to be pigeonholed in this particular space. I liked this one as well because it seems like it was popular among, among a number of leaders and interviewers. Tell me about a time you strongly disagreed with your manager. What did you do to convince them that you were right and what ultimately happened? So again, a lot there. It's not just asking about a management style or a time that you, you know, had a conflict or difficulty working on a team. This is so pointed because likely there are going to be times that arise where you may have a different perspective from your manager and that might be why they're trying to bring you on but they want to make sure that you're going to handle it in a professional way so really great question here's one that i actually got asked by a candidate oh tell me more so i thought this was such a smart question to be asked by an interviewee and one that i did not really have an answer for and i can tell you why but the question was What's the difference between someone who's great in this role versus someone who's outstanding? I always recommend that students ask this as a candidate. So tell me more about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the reason I did not have an answer was we'd never had this role before. Easy. All right. So (laughs) I could only imagine what I wanted in that role, but because I... I wasn't replacing somebody who was in it. We, like, it had never existed before. So I wasn't entirely sure what it was going yeah, to be. So I could, only, I could only state what, my, what I felt my ideal was going to be. But I think it's such a great question. And I think it's a great question to be asked and to ask, right? So if it does not come up in your interview, I would definitely lob that back at the interviewer. For sure. Because it, it also gives you an insight into what they value. So if you're looking for a job with really good work-life balance and the thing that makes a, an employee excellent is the fact that they stay until 10 at night, that's a good indicator for you that this might not be a professional fit. If it's, you know, you feel like you're a really good team player and you volunteer often to take on more and that's what they say sets uh, an excellent candidate out uh, apart, then that is maybe a reassuring thing to hear because you know that that's how you can excel. So, uh, yeah, I really like that question. I also liked... What's one critical piece of feedback you've received that was difficult to hear? Why was it difficult? And what did you do with the information? And what did you learn about yourself? So again, a more pointed take on maybe a time that you failed because it's turning the question and asking it from someone else's perspective. So I think that a failure, if it's just posed as tell me about a time you failed, you can kind of cherry pick an answer that's like a really non-fatal thing that, you know, you just needed to study more and identify additional resources. But this one's really encouraging you to dig into it maybe a challenging professional time and discuss how you grew from it, which I love. Here's a great one. What's one part of your previous company's culture that you hope to bring to the next one? What's one part you hope not to find at your next employer? So interesting. Yeah. That's, again, it's just a more nuanced way of asking sort of a standard interview question, but just a really, I think, insightful one because, again, it's going to tell the interviewer what you're looking for. And it's going to give you a chance to reflect on why you want to be a part of this company. Totally. And it also allows you the chance to showcase some research you've done. Yes. So if you have a sense that the corporate culture at this new place involves something, you can know to avoid saying that that's the thing that you would remove from the next space. Or it could be something that you kind of dovetail in with what you would hope to, to contribute. It's a good yeah. way, too, to talk about, you know, if you're particularly passionate about a company's values, the way your values align with theirs, right? Right. Say, I, you know, I the last space I was in was really not invested in pick something, right? Yeah. 
but I feel like here I can already tell that you're really invested in this and here's something that I could bring to that and that's what I'm really excited about working here. Absolutely. Some of them I'm glad I've never gotten, including why shouldn't we hire you? Um, Ooh. I know. I Boy, that's uh, a trick question. Yeah, so the part part of the reason I like this article is that it's not just listing the questions. There's really in-depth detail following each question about what the hiring why the hiring managers ask them, ask those questions, what are some successful approaches to it, what are some pitfalls that students or, you know, applicants can fall into. And I think that reviewing them even if you don't get any of these, it's really helpful interview prep because it's forcing you to think about these broad questions from really specific ways. So even if you do get the broader, what's the management style you prefer, or what is your greatest failure, you can have a really good answer because you've thought about these these really great questions already. Well, so I will link to the entire article in our show notes because as Milan said, it's a really in-depth article, 40 questions with commentary. I think it's something that everybody should take a look at whether you're preparing for a job interview, whether you've just gone through one, or if you are going to be interviewing someone as Milan encountered the other day. (laughs) So um, it's one of the more fascinating career articles we've come across recently. So we look forward to sharing it with you and we look forward to seeing you again next week on CS Radio. This podcast is produced by the University of Pennsylvania Career Services Office, a division of the Vice Provost for University Life. Your hosts are Amy Lynn Kirshner and J. Michael DeAngelis. Today's special guest was Kate Lawrence. It's produced, mixed, and edited by Karen Yang. We'll see you right here next time on CS Radio.